Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. Indeed, you are listening to The Sages Among Us. I'm Keith Porter, and my guest today is Chaplain Norris Burks, pastor, author, syndicated columnist, and a hospital and hospice chaplain who retired as an Air Force Reserve Lieutenant Colonel after serving many years as a military chaplain, including a tour in a combat hospital in Iraq. And we'll be talking about all that in the meantime. Norris, welcome to the hot seat on The Sages Among Us. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Keith. It's great to be here. Great to be with you guys. Well, we're doing this uh, as we have through the pan- pandemic by a phone. You happen to be in Southern California where you're spending some time with your mom, I understand. So that's wonderful that we could do it by phone. Yes, yes. It's a, it's a different, uh, it's, a, it's such a different life down here in Southern California. The land of plenty. The land of plenty. Well, uh, personally, I'm glad I live in the Northern California, and I'm yeah. glad you do, too. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. part of our community, and uh, you've yeah. made a great difference in an awful lot of lives, and uh, we really want to Thank talk you. about how all that is uh, very civically engaged in, in the broadest sense. So let me share a little bit more about your background before we get into the details. Uh, you, okay. Your dad was a Southern Baptist pastor. You're the uh, you have three two older siblings, right? You're the youngest of three. Uh, you moved a lot yeah. as a child. You graduated from Atascadero High School in California. You went to Baylor. You went to seminary. You became a pastor. Somewhere along the line, you became an Air Force chaplain after ROTC in college. Uh, you've had a s- lot of life events that I think have uh, motivated many of your uh, your uh, w- the ways that your life has been expressed, and uh, we'll talk about all of that. You're now. Is it fair to say you're semi-retired? Is that accurate? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh... I haven't been a full-time chaplain since uh, since 2010. I've sort of been a, a writer and a chaplain, uh, working in hospice and doing different per diem work for the VA and Kaiser. And uh, so, yeah, so I've just been working half-time up to a few years ago, and then finally just went sort of per diem, uh, which means I'm just on call with uh, Hospice of the Foothills. So, yes. Oh, that's great! So it's a it's a it's a wonderful time of life. You're you're a bit younger than I am, but uh, I've had some kinds of similar experiences of, of migrating into retirement and uh, being yeah, yeah, being busier than I ever word. was when I was working. <laughs> I don't know if you found great that. Word. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, there's so much to talk about, but let's go back to kind of the early days first, just to get a better build a little better picture about you the, as a human being. Uh, you started as a preacher's kid. Uh, I was too, by yes. the way. Uh, ah, great. <laughs> what what was your life like as a kid? Were, were you the good child or were you the uh, troublemaker? <laughs> well, I did make I did make trouble a few times with uh, with toilet paper and eggs, but <laughs> oh, I did I did that a few times. But uh, no, not too much of a troublemaker. I I grew up on um, people would say to me, "Oh, your dad's a preacher, isn't he strict?" And I would always say. He doesn't seem that way to me, but he might, you know, if you were in my house, he might. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, when he when he cut off the television shows that were because they got a little racy on Friday night television or this, you know, different 
uh, in church three times a week. But I, I, I had a lot of respect for my dad, and uh, he was a bivocational pastor, meaning that he was also an electrician. So what, and I, I grew up wiring houses, uh, uh, construction, wiring houses. So, uh, yeah. The so-called day job, I guess, right? Uh, right, right, right. So the the number of times you moved, I think you said you moved eight times, if I remember right, as a kid. Uh, I always have to count it, but that sounds about right. <laughs> so uh, how did that influence your ultimate life's direction, uh, that so mobility? I, I loved moving. My siblings didn't. I raised a family who uh, half of us like moving and half of us don't. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I... I uh, my wife left that when I, uh, what, my first active duty station, I spent longer in one house than I've ever spent in any house before. So <laughs> that kind of describes really? uh, how it was, yeah. So. Any any kind of special high school memories from your time in uh, Tascadero? Anything that stands out well, to you? Well, yes. Um, um, as, a, as a high school freshman, I didn't comb my hair or brush my teeth, but I joined high school ROTC, and my life changed in high school ROTC and a very, uh, uh, very in- inspiring instructor and uh, really changed my grades, changed my life, my social skills, my all kinds of things. So, um, yeah, I, I was a mess up till about the ninth grade. So it changed uh, your, it changed yeah, your appearance yeah. too, right? Because you had to start yeah, cutting and combing your hair. I, I mean, I tell, I tell people, no, my hair's always been this short since I was in ninth grade. Yeah. So you followed your dad's career direction you know, with your degree in religion and uh, journalism from Baylor. Uh, why Why Baylor, yeah. by the way? Why did you go to Texas to Baylor? Uh, well, I wanted to go to the clo- from from California. The closest Baptist school that had ROTC was Waco, Texas. Really? <laughs> so, wow. So those two things. Well, I skipped over Abilene. They had it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Waco, Texas. So Baylor University. And my parents met there and. So my aunt and uncle lived there, and so lots of reasons to attract me to Baylor, and uh, I, 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 I stuck out my trying freshman year that a lot of people have and stayed. So, yeah. So wh- why would you say that the ROTC experience was so influential on you and so important that you, yeah. you do that? Is it, was it the structure yeah. that it brought for you? Yeah. I, I think it, 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 was, uh, it was pride. It was structure. It was direction. Those are... Those are vague kind of words, but uh, I remember my high school ROTC instructor saying one day, uh, when you graduate from high school, I don't want you to go to college. I want you to go out and get the very best job that you could ever find. And when you're done at the ice cream store, (laughs) (laughs) go to college. (laughs) Have a little life experience first. I think that was, no, I mean, his joke was, the best job you're going to find at a high school is at the ice cream store. So when you're done there, yeah. <laughs> you know, you might want to go to college. So um, I, I, it was very inspiring. That's, that's the way he taught it. And uh, I went on to college and, and, and actually did not, uh, did not continue with ROTC. I think I was sort of disappointed with the college experience. It was just a little different. But um, so... Yeah, okay. but I stayed, well, I stayed the course. Well, and help us just finish painting the picture here. Did you go right to Golden Gate Seminary after um, after Baylor? I did. I did. So I did. you you had your direction pretty well established then. And, yeah, yeah, I got married after the first semester. My dad 
uh, I actually went to Golden Gate Seminary in Mill Valley, California, where my wife and I were enrolled in a kindergarten class when we were five years old. So our parents were at the same seminary I attended, <laughs> and they put us in the same kindergarten class. So we would meet 15 years later because we were because we had been in that kindergarten class. Did you together. did you remember each other? No, but my mom did and said, "Hey, you were." I, I came. I came uh, up to her one day. I said, "Hey, my mom says we were in the same kindergarten class together," and I thought that was a great pickup line. And Becky said, "So I don't understand your point." <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds like there was a guide in there. <laughs> sounds like there was a guiding hand involved in that through your mom, yeah. or maybe even otherwise. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So did you um, immediately uh, join the Air Force Reserve and begin serving as a chaplain, or when did that happen? So uh, after seminary and after a year. Uh, pastoring a church in Brentwood, in Northern California, Brentwood, um, I, uh, I joined the uh, reserves. And uh, because, because really because of my high school experience with the Air Force, and I really wanted to know what it was like to be a chaplain in the Air Force. So, okay. Uh, and, uh, and, and the military brings on chaplains, if anyone's listening. They bring on chaplains only with experience. So I spent seven years in the reserve before they called me for active duty. So okay. That's the way they work it. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I know you you were serving as a pastor in Stockton mm -hmm. in 1989 mm -hmm. when there was a, there was that horrific school shooting where a number right. of children right. were killed. Right. Um, tell right. tell us about the impact of right. that on you, your response, and how did that right. change your right. life? Well, uh, it happened at Cleveland Elementary School, and Patrick Purdy was the shooter, and uh, he let loose with a machine gun and, and, and right outside the across the street from the school, just raining bullets on Asian children that he was targeting. He was a, he was a, uh, you know, an ill, a very ill Vietnam vet. Um, so, um, but, but he, he rained those bullets on children of Asian descent for a reason. And um, he, uh, bullets hit 31 or 33 people, I don't recall, 33. And, um, I, as a pastor hearing it on the radio, I, I wheeled over to the command center and I said, I, I'm a, I'm a, a Air Force trained chaplain. I just trained in mass casualties. And so they let me in and they put me in a room where they sent the parents. And I told six children, I told the, the parents of six children between the ages of six and eight that their children wouldn't be going home with them that day. So um, it it was a pretty horrific experience. I I I don't think I almost didn't survive it. I I spent the next year pretty depressed, thinking about it every day. And uh, it really was a it really was until I about a year later I entered a program called clinical pastoral education. It's the formal training that hospital chaplains get, and it's a kind of a I describe it as a internship combined with group therapy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was on my on the on the floors at UC Davis representing myself as a hospital chaplain, but the other half of the time I was in room trying to work work out my own demons and situations. And so, after I graduated from that to become a hospital chaplain. Well, so that really saved my life. That was the that was the impact. It's, 
Cleveland Elementary on me. So yeah. well, that's a that yeah. it, it's an amazing story, and it's like yeah. words words can't express the the, right. or the 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 feelings that it raises just right. to hear you talk about it. Right. Uh, and right. um, you know, I'm I'm very glad you survived it and came out of the whole experience right. able to right. be able to helpful helpful to others, which is. You know, Thank which you. is uh, God's will, uh, in my view. Mm-hmm. So good, good uh, for that. In the end, it's something that I couldn't do again, and this surprises a lot of people. I've actually been challenged on this. You know, when I say I could never, I would never do that again. I would never report if there was a mass casualty at my elementary school nearby. I wouldn't go. Yeah. And I tell people because that broke that day for me, that 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 I could never do that again. Yeah. But somebody could, and somebody would. So, there, I think it's important that we know what we can and we can't do. Indeed, so, sounds yeah. sounds very insightful. Uh, yeah. um, at, at some point, and I guess about then, you you went on active deployment in the Air Force. Is that was that after that experience? I did. Well, I, I let's see. I, I actually uh, well, finally was full time employed at a hospital in Texas for about three years until the Air Force called and said, "Hey, would you like to come back to California?" and uh, and be a chaplain at uh, Onizuka Air Station, which was at the time at Moffett Field. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and that's where I came on being a chaplain. And and uh, the Air Force chaplaincy is a lot like pastoring a church. I had Sunday school and and vacation Bible school and counseling and all those things that a pastor has, except with the one exception, you have to have a bag packed and ready to go. So. <laughs> yeah. wherever they, wherever they want to send you. So, yeah. Well, and you did go to Cape Canaveral, and you also went abroad to Turkey and to the Battlefield Turkey. Hospital in Iraq in 2008. Right. So right. W- w- did you have choice in that, or as a reservist, were you able to say, yes, I'll well, do that? Well, at the point that I went on active duty, the only choice that uh, any officer has is he can resign, she can resign, <laughs> and yeah. not go. So the choices were that, and... Uh, that was not a choice for me, but um, yeah, no, I, I actually, uh, it would be later on the combat hospital in Iraq. That's when I went back into the reserves, and yeah, they actually interviewed me for that. There, um, that was actually a competitive slot. I had to win over other chaplains that wanted to go. So, wow. uh, yeah. Well, you, you and your wife have four children who are now grown. Uh, right. Right. What was it like for your family when you were deployed to Iraq? What, what was right. their experience? I don't know. They were kind of preteens, and I think some of them were very excited. <laughs> My dad has gone away for a while. I'm not sure, but by the time I went to, uh, by the time I deployed to uh, overseas, uh, my children were all adults actually. So by the time I went to uh, 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 Iraq as a hospital chaplain, that was only 11 years ago. So they were all adults at that point. But they were they were worried about me. But I'm sure they also they also had the feeling of. Hey, nothing ever happens to a chaplain, <laughs> and that was almost true until we lost one in Afghanistan. But right. uh, yeah, yeah. So okay. Yeah. Well, I'm Keith Porter, and my guest today is Chaplain Norris Burks. Uh, Norris is a pastor. He's an author. He's a syndicated columnist, and he's a hospital and hospice chaplain. He retired as an Air Force Reserve Lieutenant Colonel after serving many years as a military chaplain, including that tour we were just talking about in a combat hospital in Iraq. Um, and uh, you were my guest uh, for a short bit on a, a program I did on Memorial Day, and you talked about yes. uh, your experience in Iraq very movingly. Um, yes. That must have been quite uh, quite uh, uh, an uh, impactful time for you. 
Right, right. It was, uh, as we say sometimes in, in emergency room work or something, it, it was um, it was long moments of boredom interrupted by sheer terror. <laughs> so I mean, you know, you're you're sort of suddenly you're 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 somewhere on base and and your pager goes off and suddenly there's 20 people in the emergency room with bullet wounds or explosions and so yeah, it was it was a lot of downtime and, and then suddenly it wasn't and uh, I can I do you have a moment just. To, for, to tell you about my most really moving experience there in Iraq, and you, you uh, bet, you bet. Yeah, just because it's really impacted my life since then. And it's of a young man who came into the emergency room with four others, and uh, they, their squad leader uh, died on scene of an explosion of, a, of, of a, an, I, an IED explosion, and uh, the sergeant, the the the, the the private, his name was uh, Crawford, Private Crawford. That's his real name, and he and he asked me for a Bible because he lost his in the explosion. I said, I can get you a Bible, and you know, and I'm going through the list. What else can I do? And he said, Would you help me pray for the people that planted that bomb that God would forgive them? Now, this Crawford had just lost his sergeant. He had been hurt. Some others in the vehicle had also been hurt. And he's asking me to pray for the people that did this to for, that they'd be forgiven. And I did. I prayed as best as I could, and that Crawford would stay several more days as he asked several other chaplains back to pray the same thing. And that impacted me so much. I Well, I wrote a book about it, but... I also, it's just ever since then, I think when I talk to people and counsel people, I mean, forgiveness really is the only way out. Amen, and, amen to that. And um, so, it's it's, yeah. such, it's such a burden to carry a, a, yeah, a, yeah. a, a load of hate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's, you know, that, that, that prayer didn't do anything for that man that planted the bomb, but it did everything for Crawford. Yes. I think it healed him. I think it healed him. And so, um, I mean, that that's that's where you go with that yeah what a beautiful expression of the human spirit at its best yeah. so yeah thank you for sharing that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you started writing a regular column in 2001 you yeah. said your first essay was focusing on a spiritual response to 9-11 speaking of uh, <laughs> right. you know something right. along the lines of forgiving those who have trespassed against right. us uh, right. have, have you been writing ever since I have my my column anniversary is coming up in October, 20 years, and uh, so yeah, I I went Boy Scout camping with a with a local editor, and I was still on active duty, and started telling them chaplain stories. He said, "Hey, why don't you submit to me some stories about being a chaplain? We'll consider it for a column." Some weeks went by, and suddenly it comes 9/11, and then he calls me 10 days after 9/11, saying. Hey, I need a spiritual response to 9/11, and I'm like, well, just let me just whip that up. I mean, this is <laughs> yeah, right. tip of my tongue right now. So uh, I, I did. I started writing, and and quickly it actually became syndicated. Uh, Gannett, the people that own USA Today, they picked it up and and uh, so ran it for yeah. They've been running it 20 years. Yeah. So wow. every every day, every column is. Is what I call spirituality in everyday life because I think if God doesn't work in everyday life, then He doesn't work, and uh, so we have to think about where where those things meet. The rubber meets the road, if I can use that old cliche. But yep. if it, you know, if our faith doesn't work 
out of the church, then it doesn't work. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, you went back to school, and you, you got a Master in Fine Arts and Creative Writing from Pacific University in Portland. What motivated you to do that? <laughs> I did. Okay, well, first of all, thank you, listeners. The GI Bill, your tax dollars at work. <laughs> uh, good show. <laughs> so, right? I mean, so there I was, uh, I don't know, 52, 53 years old, and I said, yeah, I would really like just to get some better experience in writing. And so they accepted me after telling me that they don't take journalists because journalists tend to write too much to the fact. And, and they wanted to know when I'm writing a story, they want to know what color people's eyes are. And I've never written them. Right. I'm going to be that descriptive. But so I learned to be more descriptive in my writing and, and work on conversations, dialogues and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, I was motivated then for, you know, with the GI Bill, it's kind of a part-time job. They actually, you know, I actually got a stipend to go. And so, yeah. Uh, have you, or fun. have you been thinking about writing fiction? I, I I have some things in the closet for years, but I've not, uh, I'm not too much of a fiction writer, so I don't think I could do that. But, uh, yeah. I, um, I, it, it sounds like you've got your hands full writing about your actual experiences, so we'll <laughs> let you off the hook for fiction. <laughs> <laughs> well, people ask me, are your columns true? Yeah, except the ones that aren't. I <laughs> let them guess. But, uh, no, I, I, when, I, when I sort of write, when I, I fictionalize some columns sometimes, but I think readers pick up on that. They know I'm just playing with them a little yeah. bit. So, yeah, and it's usually self-deprecating kind of fiction. So, yeah. Well, uh, I'm uh, Keith Porter. My guest today is Chaplain Norris Burks. And so, Norris, tell us about being a chaplain. What what does mm-hmm. it involve, and in, in specifically, mm-hmm. what are the joys and mm-hmm. sorrows of your work? Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I like to tell people about what a chaplain is, is it can be, just like you use the word teacher or anything else, it can be very generic. There are a lot of people out here who take some volunteer courses at work, and they help the police, or they help the local fire department or something. And they're, And they are they serve a chaplain role. There are people at my church that are involved in, uh, in California. Um, uh, oh, I've forgotten the name. They, anyway, they had the help with fires, the aftermath and fires, disaster relief. Yep. And so, um, but the sort of chaplain I am is what's called a professional chaplain. And that sounds a little hootie tootie. I call it career chaplain. So, so I work, you know, in mostly, and I've worked most of my life in healthcare situations. And this is how I describe it. I say, as a hospital chaplain, uh, I am, I have helped tape crystals to wrists. I put the garlic under the bed. I turned the bed in the feng shui direction. I have collected bones to be burned and placentas to be buried. I have um, taken off my shoes and burned incense. And and on Sunday, I'm a Baptist. So. When I tell people what a what a professional chaplain does or a career chaplain, it means that my focus is always on the patient, not not me, not who I am. And so I've had people uh, more conservative than me saying, "Hey, why aren't you, you know, telling all your patients in hospice about Jesus?" Because they didn't ask me to tell them about Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it, the focus is on them, on the patient, not me. And so I try to I try to honor people's whatever their faith background is, and in some cases honor people who have been oppressed by religion, or and so they're maybe perhaps they're not uh, they're atheists. And so I've had atheists say to me, "You respect who I am." I, yes, I do. So 
um, it's it's a matter of uh, holding up for them what their values are, not what mine are. So, yeah. I'm I'm going to posit that you feel a deep sense of purpose to support people mm-hmm. in times of emotional stress. Would you say that's accurate? Mm-hmm. It is. It is, and, and it's what chaplains do, and and it's what they all should do. And so, uh, the stress that they see, the stress that people feel, need someone to walk alongside. And we call it chaplains call it walking among the wounded, and that's what we're called to do. So, well, yeah. Mm. So, what are the personal rewards for you from your work as a chaplain that make it all worthwhile what obviously you 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 receive and 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 help bear tremendous loads of of hatred as we've talked mm-hmm. about and and injury and, and hurt mm-hmm. what are the rewards for you for well, that experience my my wife becky teases me that you're not happy if unless you made someone cry are you <laughs> i mean i don't make them cry i give them the yeah. safe space and the opportunity to cry so uh you know it was uh yeah and i when i go see a patient and i ask them if they have any regrets in their life and i leave the silence long enough for them to help the silence you know helps them uh understand that the the space is safe and they talk about it and they cry about it that's a very rewarding moment for me. I, I walk out almost, <laughs> well, it's going to sound terrible, but it's a, take it with a grain, almost chest thumping, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that well, really worked. Uh, that you, person really, you're just really excited about how, where, they, where they've gone to. And so, yeah, um, anyway, I, uh, uh, hospice has introduced a whole new level for me because um, most of my experience, as I say, has been in the hospital and with kids. I was a pediatric chaplain, and so hospice just, um, I like the fact that people in hospice, they know they're dying, and I like the fact they want to talk about it. Yeah. Because, you know, you can imagine me at a hospital in Iraq when I knew people were dying. They did not really want to talk about it. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they, maybe they weren't ready or whatever, but some did, but... Um, but what's you know I, I like talking to people who understand what's happening next, and so that's been really rewarding. So, Good. yeah. Well, you've authored three books, nonfiction, yeah. <laughs> about your experience, yeah. uh, thriving yeah. beyond surviving, no small miracles. Right. Your latest, I think, right. is Heroes Highway. If I got the sequence right. right. Uh, right. So, uh, and, and you have the syndicated column, and all of that is accessible for folks on your website, yes. right? Uh, tell, yes. tell us what yes. your website is, how people yes. can learn more about what you've written yes. and what you uh, continue to write. The website is called thechaplain.net, and I encourage you to go there and sign up for my columns because I send my columns out every week. It's in the Nevada Union on, on the first week of the month, but but you can also just pick it up every week. Uh, and I don't know if I have any Auburn listeners, but it's in the paper, that paper every week. Uh, so, but yeah, go to the website and check out the books. The books are just really a, co- I mean, frankly, they're just a collection of my columns. And, and I've tried to put them together in a the theme. But the, the the exciting book is, for me, is the, the experience in Iraq and called Heroes Highway. And that that really is a full book. So, yeah, yeah, read that. 
<laughs> okay. At the chaplain dot net. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. we're 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 running close on time here. Uh, we haven't had time mm-hmm. to talk about the fact that you've run two marathons and completed them. That's not a natural <laughs> pursuit for most yeah. of us retired folks. Uh, you, yes. We haven't talked about the fact you make an annual trip to Honduras to assist your yeah. daughter's work there, uh, yeah. who is put, yeah. putting libraries in schools, right? Libraries Goodness. in schools and the Chispa Project. That's the H I S P A. CHISPA project.org. And uh, I forgot to mention Nevada, Nevada County readers have uh, contributed about $3,000 this year to that effort. So uh, I really appreciate that. And so come to Honduras with me. <laughs> well, we'll have to talk about details of that another time because we don't have time yeah. to go into it any length now. But uh, okay. uh, I think on behalf of uh, all of us who have heard your story, Norris, uh, thank you for your service. Uh, uh, deeply, welcome, deeply thank you, thank you for thank your you. service. Thank you. Um, thank you. And it's, it's, a, it's a great work that you have done and are continuing to do. And um, it's great to have you as our neighbor. Uh, you live now in the south part of Nevada County, so you're, you're close yeah. to us. You're working with a hospice yeah. here locally. So yeah. we're we're uh, we're just amazed at the uh, the kind of things that you've done and continue to do. And thanks very much for Thank being you. on the show with me. Thank I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Keith. All right. Thanks for having me. You bet.